Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We're in a series called Revival, Revival. Now, if you don't have a church background, you understand uh, the word revival means to live again, to live again. If you have a relationship with someone, you know it is possible for that relationship to get to a point where it just needs to be rekindled. You might use that word, rekindled, instead of revival. Uh, But all of us in relationships can have those relationships to wane. Uh, you go out of that honeymoon stage and, and you know, you, you get into that routine and that rote and the ritual, and sometimes the, the love and the passion of the relationship can go away. And sometimes it's necessary for some drastic measures to take place to bring vitalization, to bring revival, to rekindle that relationship. It works in every area of our life. When the Apostle Paul described how you and I are made, I've shared this with you before, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, I pray that your spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. People are made up of three essential elements. You are a spiritual person, you are an emotional person, and you are a physical person. And it's important that you give attention to those three dynamics of your life. It's important that you give attention to your physical well-being, and we ought to take care of ourselves physically. I was talking about this morning, but I gotta get back eventually, I gotta get back uh, and start uh, exercising again. Uh, Somebody said, Bill, you're trying to get in shape. I said, I already am in shape. Round is a shape. But I understand what they meant. But it's good that we take care of our, our physical bodies, and we should do that. You ought to go to the doctor, you ought to get a checkup, you ought to make absolutely certain that your physical body is as healthy as it possibly could be. So physical is important. Sometimes we need to be rekindled and revived physically. And then, of course, you know emotionally, sometimes our emotions can get frayed and our emotions need to be rekindled. We are emotional people, and from time to time, we do need the checkup, but we need the checkup from the neck up to make sure that our emotions are healthy, that they are rekindled. And then what I'm talking about is a revival in your spiritual, in the spiritual part of you. You are spiritual, whether you've acknowledged it or recognize it or believe it or not, there is something inherently within you that is spiritual. Uh, Pascal referred to it as the God-shaped vacuum. There is a, a hole within the heart of all of us that longs for connection with our creator. And you have to press that and suppress that and and deny that in order to get to a point where you're not aware of your spiritual health. That's why we celebrated this beautiful baptism. That is someone who has been enlightened to the fact that they are a spiritual person. And so they've invited the creator into that area of their life. And once you have that relationship with Christ, he permeates all the other areas of your life. He makes a difference in you emotionally and in you as well physically. And so what this series is trying to do is trying to identify the need that we all have, and that is to be rekindled spiritually, to be revived spiritually. If you can remember a time in your life where you were more passionate about reading God's word or prayer, if you can remember a time in your life where you were more committed to sharing your faith, 
are attending God's house than you are at this moment, then you need to be rekindled. You need to be revived. You need to be resuscitated. And I'm here with the paddles to try to bring that spiritual life back into you. And so a personal revival, as we talked last weekend, is something we can all experience. We say, well, man, our nation needs a spiritual awakening, and it does. You say our community needs a spiritual awakening, and it does. You say our church could need a, a, a fresh infusion of a spiritual awakening, and it does. But all of those concepts and ideas seem to be so big and beyond us. You say, I, I cannot control uh, the direction of our country or our community or even my church, but here's what you can control. You can control a revival within you. You can say, by the grace of God, I want a spiritual renewal within me. And really, that's the personal uh, uh, application that I hope you take from these messages, is that you take it personally. And you say, God, I want a movement of your spirit within my own heart. Now, here's what happens when a Christ follower, someone who has invited Christ into their life, when that person uh, experiences spiritual renewal. Two things happen, number one, they will want to know Christ more. They will want to know Christ more. Uh, when the, uh, Paul was writing in Philippians chapter three, verse 10, here's what he said, that I may know him. Now he didn't say that I may know about him, that, that's important, and we have Bible studies that'll help you learn more about God, but that's not what Paul was saying. He didn't say that I may know more about him, he said that I may know him. I want my relationship to God to, to thrive and to prosper. And so one of the things that happen when you experience a spiritual renewal is you will want to know Jesus more. You will want to be closer to him. The second thing that will happen is that you will want uh, others to know him more. You will want others to know Jesus. In other words, you will want other people to connect with him. Because the closer you get to God, the, the more you will love what he loves and he loves people. In fact, in John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse of the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. And so the more you love God, the more you'll love who he loves, and he loves people. He changes everything about your life. Have you noticed if you're in a relationship with someone, the more you love them and the, more, the better you get to know them, before long, you start um, liking the things they like, You'll eventually start loving the things they like. And they say that the older you get, you even start looking alike. Now that might be a little scary for some people. It was always a frightening thing for Cindy to think about that. But the more, you, the more you're with someone, the more you become like them. You just can't help it. You begin to adapt to certain things, you adjust to certain things. And if that's true of our relationships with each other, that's true of our relationship with God. Man, if you walk with God, eventually you'll love the things that he loves. You see, here's a principle. Perfect love produces perfect hate. Now understand, when I say that, what I mean is if you love health, if you love physical health, you'll hate anything that breaks your physical health down. If you love your family, you'll hate anything that will tear up and harm your family. If you love your life, you will hate anything that could threaten your life. So perfect love produces perfect hate. In other words, if you love God as you should, and you embrace him as you should, you'll love everything connected to him, and you'll love everyone that he loves, and God loves people. He loves all of us, not just, not just all of us in general. Let me say he loves each one of us. 
And so this dynamic of pressing into God changes every area of your life. And so the verse we've been talking about for this series is, as I told you last week, a, a promise, and it is also a word that God gave through King Solomon to the nation of Israel in 2 Chronicles. But it's also probably the most famous verse when we begin to talk about a real revival or a spiritual renewal in all of the Bible. I told you last week the interpretation of the passage is to Israel through King Solomon, but the application of that is for us today. It is uh, vibrant and it is uh, uh, applicable to you and I today. And the passage it is uh, that we're looking at is 2 Chronicles 7.14. So if you have a Bible, look there. If not, look at the screen. We've got it for you here. And notice what he said. If my people, and we pointed out last week, the first message I talked about the condition of revival is God's people. It's not dependent upon the political winds. It's not dependent upon the economy. It's not dependent upon anything other than the people of God. If the people of God get serious about their relationship with him and how they feel about one another, God says things can happen. If my people who are called by my name, and this is the phrase we're gonna deal with today, will humble themselves and pray. That's the first step toward a real revival. I talked about the condition for revival last week. This week, I'm gonna talk about the contrition for revival. If they will humble themselves and pray, notice it now, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then. What you'll find, somebody told me there's 7,000 promises in the Bible. I don't know, I didn't count them. I'll take their word for it. But what I do know about the promises, they are all conditional. God says, I will do this if you'll do that. I'll give this if you'll give that. If you will be willing to do this, and I'm willing to do that. So the promise is, is conditional. God says, look, this is what is required for me to hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It is all predicated upon his people. If my people who are called by my name. The first thing I want you to consider is what I'm calling the submission, the submission we experience. If my people, he said, who are called by my name, and then notice the next word, will, will humble themselves. You see, there's something about our will that is so significant to everything about our lives. God is willing if we're willing. But the will, our will is so powerful. Our, our will determines the direction we take each day of our life. It determines our career choices. It determines a lot. Our will determines whether or not we spend eternity with God or not. It is our will. I can talk about God's will. I can tell you in 2 Peter 3, 9, he said, I'm not willing, what's the will of God? I'm not willing, not willing that any should perish, that any should not know me, but that all should come to repentance. What is the will of God? It is for every single solitary person on the planet to have a relationship with him. Well, then why don't they? Well, it's not because of his will, it's because of our will. Once we yield our will to his will, great things can happen. Here's what I've told you before. See if you remember me saying this. God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. Think about that. He only wants for you the things that you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. He made you, he created you, he designed you. You're a person of destiny. You're someone who has great potential. 
But oftentimes what derails the purpose of God in our life is not his will, but it's our will. And so the first thing that he's talking about here in this narrative is we have to be willing <laughs> to yield our will to his will. Now that's true in relationship, wouldn't you agree? If you're gonna get along with someone and you're gonna be in a relationship with them, from time to time, you have to, you have to meet them halfway. Most conflicts in relationship is one ego against another ego. <laughs> and you have the clash of the egos. And then you hear one side of the argument, you go, oh, you got a great report, I'm on your side. Then you hear the other side of the argument, you go, you know what, you have a great counter argument, I'm on your side too. And what you understand in dealing with conflict resolution in any relationship is, it's a pretty flat pancake that doesn't have two sides. <laughs> there are two sides to every issue. And so what happens in a relationship, if you're gonna reconcile and resolve, you have to meet a person halfway, which means you're going to have to submit or surrender your will. We can't get everything we want and we can't have everything we want in every relationship that we enjoy, not if it's going to be healthy. There is the submission of one's will. And that happens in our relationship to God. There comes a point in life where we have to have an epiphany. We have to, and you have to come to a place in life where you almost get so sick and tired of being sick and tired that you're actually willing to try it God's way. Remember, we're all familiar with the story of the prodigal in Luke. Remember whenever he said, I want what's coming to me, I want my inheritance and I'm out of here? Well, you know what happened with the father? The father said, okay, son, I'll, I'll let you have it. Well, understand that the culture of that day to ask or demand of your inheritance was an insult to your father because the inheritance was not supposed to be given until the death of the father or the mother. And once the death of the parent happened, then the inheritance was paid. So what this young man was saying to his father, if you understand the culture of that day, he was saying, in, in essence, I wish you were dead. I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want you. I want what you have. I want what's coming to me. Now, you would think the father would have said, well, you little ungrateful, you know, so-and-so. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, good luck with that. I'm not giving you a dime. He doesn't do that. Instead, he gives the inheritance to his son. I think about that in a spiritual context because that's the way in which we're to interpret that parable. Uh, the, the, the reality of it, sometimes we go to God and say, we don't want you, we want what you have. We want what you can give us. And sometimes you think God ought to just, uh, you know, be so tired of us, he ought to thump us and we'd be bouncing off of planets for the, the, all eternity, right? But he doesn't do that either. Sometimes he allows us to have the things that we think we want, even though it may not necessarily be the thing that's best for us. For example, in the Psalms, he said he gave them their request, but then he said he sent leanness into their soul. Remember Israel, when they were going through the, the, the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and they wanted quail when God was feeding them manna, fresh bread from heaven? <laughs> and finally, he gave them what they wanted, even though it was not what he wanted them to have, but to teach them a lesson, he gave them quail. And before you know it, they were so sick of eating quail. Oh my gosh. So the principle is sometimes God gives us the things we want, um, even though it's not his best will for our life, so that he teaches us to trust him even more. And so in this principle, in this understanding of our will and how significant it is, this young man who uh, got his inheritance and left his father, you know the story, ends up in the pig pen. And look, the turning point for this young man is in the passage in Luke 15 where it says, now get this, it says he came to himself. 
he came to himself. We call that an epiphany. He had a moment where he said, this is not working. <laughs> this just isn't working. I mean, I, I tried to do this my way. I've tried to exclude my father from my life. I've tried to do things that he told me weren't, weren't good for me. I did them anyway. Nothing I've tried has worked out. And finally, that was the turning point when the young man returns to his father, the father embraced him, he restores him into the family and everything the young man thought he had lost, he had restored, he had recovered. What's the principle of the story? Nothing changed in his life until he submitted. He had to say, not my will, but yours be done. By the way, that's probably the most powerful prayer in all the Bible. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, you have Jesus in the garden, and he says that, Father, not my will, but thine be done. That's a great place to start if you want spiritual renewal in your life. It's just to say, God, I'm not happy with where I am. I'm not content with my Christian experience. I want more than I'm having. I want more than I'm experiencing. And so, Father, I yield my will to your will, not my will, but thine be done. And man, submission, golly, that's tough. Because submission just kicks pride right in the teeth. And understand, there's good pride and bad pride. Good pride is when you're proud of your job, you're proud of your work, you're proud of your family. There's an element of pride that's, that's not sinful. There's an element of pride that, that's good and understandable. But when pride becomes something destructive, uh, uh, pride becomes selfish arrogance and pride becomes an unwillingness to consider other people above our own needs. When it becomes that, then pride can become so destructive. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Proverbs 6, 16, the Bible says one of the things God hates is he hates, he hates pride. Psalm chapter 10, verse four, pride will keep a person from seeking after God. Um, in fact, if you understand and read Isaiah 14, where it describes how the devil became the devil, did you know the pride was the original sin? If you read in Isaiah 14, there's five or six times the devil says to God, I will ascend above the heavens. I will make my throne above the throne of God. I will be like the most high God. I will, I will, I will. And you have him submitting his will, or, or, or rather subjecting his will above the will of the Father. And pride then was the original sin. James chapter four, verse six, the Bible says, God resists the proud. You know what that literally means? God works against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And down in verse 10 of James 4, he says, so humble yourselves in the sight of God. And when you do that, it says, he will lift you up. One of the greatest examples of, of humility was our Lord washing the feet of his disciples. And I've said before, it is sad to see a humble savior in a proud sinner. <laughs> and so in this narrative, he says the very first step toward a real spiritual renewal in our life is submitting. Secondly, not only this submission that we can experience, secondly, there is a supplication that we should express. He said, humble yourselves and pray, <laughs> pray. You see, um, the only thing that lies outside the reach of prayer for a child of God are the things that lie outside of the will of God for your life. 
I've told you before, sometimes God just says no. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes with that no, there's no explanation. I've told you in understanding Cindy's passing where God just said no. And I didn't really get a strong explanation. Sometimes God just says no. And so the decision you have when he says no is, what do I do with that? Do I trust him? Do I get angry at him? Sometimes, yeah, you do a little. Uh, I've told you before, problems that you have toward God either draw you into him or drive you away from him. And you start doing a little dance with God where you come back, you go away, you come back, you know, you do that dance. You know why? Because we don't understand. God seldom explains himself. By the way, there's not a place in the Bible where God ever says, understand and become a Christ follower. If you wait until you can understand everything there is to understand about the Bible, you will never be awakened to your spirituality, you'll never be awakened to a connection with your creator because there's so much there we will listen, we will never understand this side of heaven. That's why the Bible says not to understand, it says believe, believe. What does the word believe in, in, in for? It, it means to place your trust in. I don't understand how these chairs, all the, you know, the mechanics of the chair, how the design, but I believe if I sit in that chair, it will hold me up. So I can believe the chair will hold me up, but until I believe it to the extent that I'm willing to sit on it, then I haven't really exercised the belief. Well, that, that's the whole thing with your spiritual eye. You, you can believe there is a God. The Bible says the devil believes and even trembles. He's got enough sense to fear God. <laughs> I don't think he's a Christian. So it's more than just an intellectual acceptance of the reality of God that he exists, but it's beyond that. It is to place your faith and trust, and one has, your understanding has nothing to do with your belief. Now, understanding can follow the belief. God will begin to give you some understanding. He'll give you some enlightenment. But initially, all the prodigal had to know, if I head to the Father, he will receive me. He had no idea what would come after that. So my point is, the belief is the most simplistic way of understanding how salvation is affected. It's not in my understanding, but it is in my, in my belief. And when I can connect with my creator, I begin to understand he has a purpose, he has a plan for my life. And it, it, he has chosen to move in my life through this idea of prayer. What is prayer anyway? Prayer is just communication with God. Now, his word, the Bible, is his communication with us, but prayer is our communication with him. You say, I don't know how to pray. Well, you know how to talk. <laughs> Sometimes we think you have to put the old English in there, thou and therefore and, you know, thy. And, you, know, you have to put all that old English in there for God. Our God doesn't understand plain, you know, trust me. He, he, you talk to him as you talk to me. You talk to him as you talk to anyone. Prayer is just simply a communication with God. And he's saying, it's not, the principle is not that people don't pray correctly. The problem is people don't pray at all. <laughs> and so what he's saying here is humble your hearts. And when you humble your hearts, the next step then is to simply pray. You know what I found in my life? Prayer will do as much for me. It'll move me as much as it moves God. Prayer doesn't always change things, but prayer will always change you. Sometimes, guys, think about this. We pray for our circumstance to change. Oh, God, change this, change them. And sometimes, listen, it's not the circumstance or the people in our life that God's trying to change, but he's trying to change us. And sometimes he uses the circumstance in order to change us. 
It's like you put something in the oven. Well, the heat of the oven is going to have an effect on what you've just placed in the oven. Sometimes God puts the heat in your life, not because he's doing something you know, supernatural with heat. He's doing something supernatural with the thing that went into the oven. He's trying to change us. And so when you begin to understand that, that prayer is God's way of changing me, it, it is me acknowledging the fact I can't do this without this greater power. I can't do this without this higher authority. I cannot do this life without a connection to my creator. And when I, when I pray, I'm humbling myself because the only thing that would keep me from prayer is pride. When I say, God, I got this. I don't need you. I can handle this on my own. And sometimes God, sometimes God will get us to the end of ourselves as he did with the prodigal in order to get us to pray. Sometimes he says, okay, yeah, you can walk away. You, you, can, you can handle your own, you, you got it, okay. But at some point down the road, you may find yourself in need of me. At some point in your life experience, you may outpunt your coverage. <laughs> and when you do, you'll find God standing there. That's why Luke 18 said, we should always pray. And if we always pray, we won't faint. It's the idea, man, it'll, it'll sustain you. It'll keep you from giving in. It'll keep you from giving out. It'll keep you from giving up. Prayer is expressing devotion to God. That's why he said, you not to have any other gods before me. Remember that in the top 10? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's the idea of nothing in front of me. Before me means I'm following something, right? You don't have anything in front of you other than God. Meaning when I'm humbling myself and praying, I'm acknowledging God, there's nothing in front of me but you. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna trust you. There's no other gods before me. And I've told you before, this principle, it's very important. This principle of the Christian faith is God will lead you and the devil will pressure you. One of the ways you know you're about to make a terrible decision is if you feel pressured into making it. The moment you start feeling compelled or pressured into making a decision, you're probably gonna make a decision that's not really in your best interest. God doesn't pressure people, he leads people. Remember, I, I shared this a few weeks ago, the idea that we're called sheep. All we like sheep have gone, my sheep hear my voice, Psalm 23, he's the good shepherd. Uh, you, you cannot, look, you cannot pressure sheep without them scattering. You, you cannot get behind sheep and push them like you push cattle. You can't yell at them like you can yell at a cow. You can't do that without them scattering. How you lead sheep, you, you get in front of them. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, Jesus said, and they, they follow me. Years ago in the Holy Land, we gathered and my mom and dad were on this trip and they had thousands of sheep out in this, in this valley and they'd gathered and all these shepherds were up on the hillside just talking and visiting and all these sheep had just kind of intermingled. I mean, literally thousands of sheep and I've told you a million times, I don't exaggerate. So there were thousands of sheep there and these shepherds were all talking and one of our people asked the guide, they said, how are they gonna ever figure out what sheep belongs to what shepherd? I don't see brands on them, I don't see ear tags on them. How will they ever discover? And he said, well, just watch this. In a little while, you'll see how this works. And shortly, the shepherds stop talking and one starts going one way. He has a little flute type thing. He starts playing it and these sheep start peeling out of the flock and they start moving in the direction of that flute. Another shepherd starts calling out and he's singing and these sheep hear him and they start peeling out of the flock, following the voice of their shepherd. And the guide said to us, he said, you see, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd and they follow him. 
That's the idea. Man, when I'm praying, I'm being sensitive. I'm saying, God, I don't want to miss you in this. I, I, want to be, I want to be certain that I'm doing the right thing. I want to be careful that I take the right steps. And so, God, I want to be sensitive to that. And I want to follow your lead. And so if you're feeling pressured into making a decision, wait till that pressure is gone. And in place of the pressure, look for peace. You see, the enemy will pressure you. God will give you. Here's how that works. I talked to somebody about this last week. We were visiting about it. And they were talking about a big decision that they were making in their life. And they felt like they, felt like they knew what that decision should be, but they just didn't know when to make it. And I said, man, I've been exactly where you are. I've been there on more than one occasion. Have you been there where you knew what you should do? You just didn't, need to, you didn't know when to do it? Now, sometimes you don't know what to do, so you pray for that. Sometimes you know what to do, you just don't know when to do it. <laughs> and that's just equally troubling. And I told him, I said, well, let me tell you what works for me. I said, I pressed in, I prayed, I, I absolutely was sensitive to what God wanted me to do. And one day I woke up, there weren't cacophony of angels and I didn't hear birds or anything like that. No ray of sunlight through the window, none of those things. But I woke up and for the first time in my heart, I had peace. And I said, no, not only do I know what to do, now I know when to do it. I said, wait for that, wait for that. Wait until you have peace. Wait until you know. Because man, in, in that moment, then you know, I'm following the shepherd. He's not gonna lead me anywhere. He can't sustain me and protect me and take care of me. So why would I try to get around him or in front of him? I'm gonna wait on him and follow him and no, the indicator, guys, is his peace. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't be anxious for anything. Man, that, that's, that's hard advice to follow, isn't it? On Sunday morning, hey guys, don't worry about anything. Let me ask you this morning, I'm about to close. How many of you would, now you're in church, so don't lie. How many would say, I have at least one thing I'm a little worried about, at least one, my hand's up. How many of you would also say, I'm sitting next to one of those things? No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> we all do. And, 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 and probably some of the most shallow advice I could give you is, don't worry about it. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> we can just skippity-doo-dah right out of here with that in our head. Well, that, that's harder to, to, to do than it is to say. But understand, when Paul said be anxious for nothing, understand, he's chained between, between two Roman guards. He's facing being beheaded in a matter of hours. Now, th that's called credibility. <laughs> when, when, you, when you're in that circumstance and you could tell people, don't worry, you got some, you got some cred. There's some credibility right now. He said, and you say, how do you do that? All right. Be worried for nothing. Here's how you do it. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's how you do it. Paul said, you know why I'm not worried? Because I'm praying. I'm yielding to the will of the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing before him my concerns and my anxiety. He said, and, and, and in, in its place, God has given me, notice, keep reading Philippians 4, 7. He said, and when you do this, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. How do you not worry? You pray. And what happens when you pray? Does it remove the problem? No, he's still chained. <laughs> he's still chained to those same guys. 
He's still facing the same circumstances. Nothing about, now there, there is a time where he shook the jail and he freed Paul and Silas and they walked out, but that doesn't happen here. Sometimes God, listen, sometimes God shows his love through deliverance and sometimes he shows his love to, through endurance. Endurance says, I'm not taking the pressure off of you. I'm gonna give you strength to carry it. And God works in both circumstances. But in this circumstance, he didn't supernaturally drop the chain, put the guards to sleep, and just miraculously airlift. Seals didn't come, and the rangers didn't land. They didn't pull him out of there and rescue him. That's not what happened. He still died. But you know what happened? Prayer didn't necessarily change his circumstance. Prayer changed Paul. That's the point. And in changing Paul, God gave him peace. Peace. And the third and the final thought, I'll give this to you, is when you do that, when you humble yourself and pray, there's a supply that you can expect. God's gonna move in your life. It may not be in the way in which you think. It may not be in the time in which you think. But God will move in your life. God is going to answer that prayer. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He didn't look down out of heaven and just discover you this morning. That's why I tell you it's no accident you're here, there's no accident you're watching. The providence of God brought you to this place for this moment for a reason. And if we tune in, the reason might be God is drawing us to him. And God is saying, I am the answer to whatever problem you face. He can be trusted. You know why I know he can be, be trusted? He cannot fail. He, it's not possible for him to fail. He won't fail you. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast out. You're not so far from him that he will not bring you home. You're not so sinful that he cannot forgive you. All you have to do is submit your will to his will and say as the prodigal Lord Jesus, here I am, I'm coming home. I think probably one of the most powerful hymns ever written was the hymn that Billy Graham would always conclude those great crusades with. You remember what it was? Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. You know how you go to Jesus? Just as you are. You say, Bill, I'm angry this morning. Well, just bring your angry self to Jesus. You say, I'm confused. Well, bring your confused self to Jesus. Bill, I'm bitter. Bring your bitter self to Jesus. You come to him just as you are, and when you come that way, he will in no wise cast out. And God loves you more than you love you he died for you, you might not die for you. And all you have to do is submit and say, Father, I'm tired of doing this without you. And this Sunday morning, I'm absolutely coming home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Isaiah said your word never returns void. Your word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. I pray first for those who know you Father, in this room and watching online, but they don't feel they've been close to you. They, they feel the distance from you. I, I pray this would be the first step toward real renewal, real revival. Stir their heart again with a love for Jesus that they haven't had in a long, long time. And Father, for those, secondly, who may never have trusted you, I pray this might be the moment where first and foremost they swallow their pride they lay that intellectual pride in the dust and they say, Lord Jesus, this morning and this moment, 
with everything I know about me, I now trust all I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.